Uh, welcome. Um, so I did organize this with Lily Siegel. Is Lily here? Yes, Lily is my partner in crime, and it's Lily's last day. She, we're losing her, so uh, thank you for helping with this show. Um, so before I talk about uh, beauty, I just wanted to give a little background. Maybe uh, Lily will jump in about what the show is, just very briefly. Uh, that uh, it's different artists' take on space-time and beauty, but that there's a lot of backstory to that, both uh, Jewish ideas and and art ideas. Uh, back to the sublime in the 18th and 19th century, where artists were responding to discoveries of the natural world and the universe with awe and terror, which is the true meaning of sublime, this combined feeling of awe and terror in the face of the vastness of the universe. And then contemporary sublime, which is those same feelings of awe and terror, but not so much about nature, but about what human beings have made and done. Um, but also, we're, the show is about how uh, people uh, can, their work can be seen in the context of Jewish ideas like Yir Ah, which uh, we learned in our research is an equivalent or a parallel idea to the sublime from Jewish thinking. Um, and also the, the concept of Erev uh, in Jewish traditions, Erev refers to the night before, so uh, Erev Shabbat is Friday night at sundown. Uh, the day starts at sundown the night before, which is where we got the title, Night Begins the Day. So the idea being, we were looking for artists who rethink things that we take for granted. We take for granted that the day starts at sunup, but uh, we were looking for artists who thought of uh, parallel ideas to the idea of, well, maybe the day can start at sundown or sun up. What is it? Sundown. Okay. Uh, so that's what uh, everything you're looking at in the whole show is about. But the backstory is that about a year ago, I <laughs> went into Lily's office and proposed that we collaborate on a show. And I said, uh, I've seen three pieces in the last year that stick together in my brain. And uh, what do you think? Can we build a show around that? And from that conversation, this show came about. And we, so we combined uh, time, space, and these three pieces are very beautiful, in my opinion. Um, so I want to walk over uh, around there to um, Masood Kamandi's piece, and we'll start there. Okay, so um, this is uh, the work of Masood Kamandi, who's a young artist from Los Angeles. And um, this is one of the pieces I brought to Lily that initiated um, the exhibition. It's called Pools, P-O-O-L-S. And um, while this is running, I want to talk uh, uh, about beauty. I've been thinking about beauty. Uh, when I saw this, I was knocked out by what I thought of as the beauty of it. But um, for the last 
arguably, arguably the last hundred years, beauty in art, modern art, contemporary art, has been uh, the third rail. You don't touch it. You don't go there. Art and beauty are bad. Okay, so uh, why? Um, because the feeling was that uh, beauty, as it's traditionally understood, is, is too superficial, it's too manipulative, uh, or on the flip side of manipulative, it's pandering to audiences that only want nice art, and the role of art in this argument is not to be nice, but to be challenging. Um, that beauty is saccharine, it's too easy, um, that artists only want to use beauty if they earn the right to use beauty by surrounding it with ugly. Um, but most powerfully, the argument was that art should have a political edge to it. Even if it's subtle, there should be a politics, a point of view in it, and beauty makes that impossible. Um, so when contemporary artists nowadays use beauty, uh, it, they usually um, employ it uh, in a new kind of way that's not traditionally beauty on the surface. Uh, like that, I heard some people talking about the silver wheel out there uh, at the entrance. Um, that's a found object that's part of a giant clock. And uh, Lily and I included it in the show because uh, we think it's beautiful, even though it's an industrial found object. It also has to do with the theme of the show, which is time. Um, so when artists use beauty, they like to use it to have found objects like that. Uh, it's called the Geneva wheel. Um, it's a formal beauty or a difficult beauty. It's like an acquired taste. Uh, at first, it may not please you, but the more you try it, the more you like it. Uh, or a tricky beauty that in a, in a kind of Brechtian way um, reminds you that it, it is not real, it is art. It's constantly saying, I know you want to identify with this and be moved by it, but you have to remember this is just art, it's not the real thing. Uh, and that's the kind of beauty that inspired the show and the pieces I want to talk about. Um, so the three artists that I brought to Lily that I want to talk about are, are Commandy here and Lisa Blatt around the corner and uh, we'll end up at the beginning again with Vanessa March. So the, these kinds of beauty are undercut by illusion. Uh, they're conceptual in that the idea comes first before the execution and um, the message is, as I just said, Brechtian, um, don't trust beauty because it could be used to deceive you. Um, people know the reference to Brecht, right? Anybody want to ask me? Okay. Brecht was the German playwright who, who always forced you not to identify with his characters and remind you that it's a play. It's not real life. Okay, so um, how do you think this was done? Anybody? One person says drone. That's what I thought. I thought or he rented a plane or something. But actually, uh, this is um, Google Earth. Mm. <laughs> yep. uh, so 
what he did was uh, get this footage. Uh, we assume it's the San Fernando Valley. And, um, but it's not, it's, a, it's an artistic recreation of reality. It isn't reality itself because he's darkened everything except the swimming pools. Um, and you can see there are shadows. So um, it's, it's, it's reality, but it's an illusion of reality because he's darkened everything, the houses, the roads, the trees, the, the streets, and punched up the swimming pools. Um, so when I saw this, um, I was on a jury, an art jury, for a prize. And um, I saw this, and, uh, and I wrote down the guy's name. I said, I'm gonna, someday I'm going to use this. <laughs> and I had the opportunity here. Um, so why do I think this is beautiful? I've been thinking about this the last couple of days to share with you. Uh, and I came across uh, this statement by the, the great philosopher George Santayana, 20th century philosopher, died in 52. Um, he said, he was Spanish, and uh, he's famous for being very quotable. Uh, if you go online, there's all these pages and pages of Santayana quotes. Um, but one that I liked a lot was beauty, and very relevant for this, beauty is an aching absence. And, of course, I think that really helps me articulate why I'm moved by this, is that there's no people. There's nothing alive except the trees. And it's, uh, especially here, uh, it is a, a very powerful absence. Um, it's lonely, it's silent, it's empty, and it's sad, sad, sad. Uh, and, of course, that's completely subjective. You might think otherwise. Um, but I think all three pieces that I'm going to talk about today are affective, with an A, they affect our emotions, they reach into our chests and uh, make us feel. Uh, and it's also in the nocturne tradition, which is uh, an interesting phenomenon that happened in the late 19th century. Uh, the most famous artist associated with nocturnes is uh, Whistler, the famous American who lived in England and France <laughs> his whole life. Uh, famous for his portrait of his mother, but uh, that's kind of an atypical painting. He mostly painted these dark uh, nocturnes. Uh, nocturnes is borrowed from the musical, uh, which are kind of uh, sad, lyrical, expressionistic um, compositions for piano, um, but it, it migrated over to art as well. and. Um, so these nocturnes, are, all three pieces are dark, and um, it makes me think of, um, I don't know how many of you have had this experience, but for me, one of the more interesting uh, kinds of emotional experiences I have is when I, if I travel alone uh, on an airplane at night, and you look out the window, uh, especially in America, and you see vast blacknesses with little points of light, which are cities of hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, there's something incredibly sad and moving 
uh, to me in that experience. And this makes me feel like these are little cities. Uh, it also, I think of this, I flip it upside down, because uh, so much of the show is about the cosmos and the Milky Way. This is kind of a mirror image of the sky. Um, I also like art that takes the human, what we've built, and incorporates it into art in unexpected ways. I mean, what is uglier than an urban sprawl suburb? But uh, he's managed to pull it into the, the realm of the aesthetic, which I love. And the other thing, uh, as you, I hope you spend time in the show after my talk, um, there are several themes that emerge. And one of the themes that emerges in this show is water. So here we have water in its most, I don't know, do, do I want to say corrupted, but its most managed, uh, humanized, manufactured, commercialized, purified form. It's totally um, of the human. Uh, chlorinated, contained, um, privatized, uh, whereas other exhibitions in the show, including the next one we'll see, are the opposite. Uh, water in its most wild, uncontained, unmanaged uh, sense. Um, so I think that's all I had to say about this. Anybody have any questions about this piece? Okay, so the next piece, Lisa Blatt's, is in, in an even smaller space, unfortunately, but I think we can probably squeeze in. So around to the right. Okay. So this is Lisa Blatt, who's a, a San Francisco artist. Lisa, did I see you? She's here. Ms. Blatt? Yeah. <laughs> Raise your hand. <laughs> OK. So uh, Lisa is an artist um, who is known for traveling the world and putting herself in uh, difficult uh, situations to get what she wants in her photography and her video. Um, so this was the third piece that kind of put the show in motion for me. Um, and I, as I stand here, I think it's pretty funny to think of what looks like TV static as exquisitely beautiful, but I still think it is exquisitely beautiful. Uh, Ken Baker of The Chronicle and reviewed the show recently and, and picked this piece as one of his favorites. Um, so what Lisa did was uh, she was in Santiago, Chile, and she was told that the clearest lake in the world could be found outside of Santiago. So she went up in the mountains, and uh, sure enough, she found this exquisitely beautiful, clear lake with no uh, water pollution because it's glacial melt and uh, almost no light pollution. And so as you can imagine, in the mountains, in, a, in an undeveloped part of the world, um, the Milky Way above was um, exquisitely beautiful. So this is video of the Milky Way. But can somebody tell me what she did? Watch them in the lake. Scouting. Right. Instead of shooting the Milky Way, what? seems obvious to those of us who aren't artists, 
she aimed the camera down into the water, which was rippling with a breeze, and got this combination of water and sky. Uh, and it's, it's brief, it's only 90 seconds. But again, to me, exquisitely beautiful. And the, the point I was going to make was that it's a tricky thing as well. So Commandy changed through Photoshop the nature of the light and the time of day. Blatt tricked our eyes. We think we're looking at, at sky and we're looking at water. Uh, Lisa did uh, share that, that um, this lake is a very good place for scientists to study global warming because uh, the extent of the melting of the glaciers indicates how much the planet is heating up. And also, it's high enough that uh, the radiation that uh, is coming in through the atmosphere affects the life in the lake as well. So it's a very uh, a hot spot, I think is the term you used for, uh, for studying the effects of global warming, climate change. So uh, if, it's okay, if nobody has any questions, we'll go on to the third and last thing. So uh, the Geneva wheel behind you is um, from the 10,000 year clock. Some of you may have heard about this, but uh, the, <coughs> Stuart Brand, who was behind the Whole Earth Catalog, when he shut down the Whole Earth Catalog, his next project uh, was the Long Now Foundation. And this is the main project of the Long Now Foundation, is to build a clock that will last 10,000 years. And so obviously it fits into the themes of our show in terms of time and, and human understanding of time. Um, so I, one of the fun things about my job is I, I learn things in every project that I never would have known. So this is called the Geneva Wheel, and it's what drives everything from your analog wristwatches to Big Ben. Um, it's the tick in TikTok. Um, and this was left over from the prototype of the 10,000-year clock, which is almost, the first iteration is almost done in a mountain in Texas. Uh, and it's designed to last 10,000 years, which is the extent back of recorded human history, uh, another 10,000 years, to, because the political statement, beauty and politics, um, is that a lot of our troubles are caused by corporate <laughs> attention to the short-term profit line and not the big picture of human long-term sustainability on the planet. So, and it's gorgeous, and it looks like a star. So, <laughs> um, but I want to talk about Vanessa Marsh, uh, who is also a um, San Francisco artist. And um, these are beautiful landscapes, skyscapes, nightscapes, nocturnes, whatever term you want to use, uh, except there's one thing. It's completely phony. None of this is real. Um, so it's kind of a culmination of the ideas I've been trying to share these last 20 minutes. Um, so these are cardboard cutouts that are copied from Ansel Adams' photographs. Uh, and the skies are copies of the Hubble telescope images 
but they're paintings. So um, these, all three of these, the, the skies are paintings. And it's even more complicated than that because they're, they're not photographs, they're photograms, which means uh, there's no camera, there's no lens. It's just um, putting uh, photo paper with objects or images on them and exposing it to light. So she has to paint these in the opposite colors. So she had to really study the color wheel to know that to get yellow, she had to use, I think it was pink, uh, something like that. Every color is the opposite of what she needed to do to make the photogram. Um, and she, she talks about um, being a girl. She grew up in, uh, in Washington State and uh, being at summer camp, they let her, them, the girls sleep out and she was on her back looking up at this. And um, she said it was one of the great transporting, transcendent moments in her life. Uh, and she never forgot it. And so uh, that's one of the things that artists can do is recreate the great moments in their life uh, on paper. And it brings this cir full circle, the uh, notion of this exhibition being about transcendence and the sublime. So I think I'll stop there. Thank you for your attention. <laughs>